Welcome to the Habits Universal Podcast featuring Scott Rush and Jeff Scott, where they discuss their new method book, Habits of a Successful Beginner Band Musician. Hi, I'm Scott Rush. And I'm Jeff Scott. And we're the writers of Habits of a Successful Beginner Band Musician. And I want to start by asking Jeff a question. One of the things that I think is um, one of the most valuable pieces of the book uh, are the teacher tips at the bottom of the conductor's edition at the bottom of the scores. Uh, most of the teacher tips came from you. So you want to talk about the teacher tips a little bit and what they might expect? Sure. When I was a young teacher, I came out and, of course, in college, I thought I knew a lot about teaching. I thought I had a really good plan for what I was going to do in a classroom. And it quickly taught me that I didn't know much about a lot of my job. Um, I would have been much more effective as a teacher had I known some things to look out for and some of the pitfalls to notice as I was teaching instead of coming back and having to notice them after I had done them. It would have been nice if I had seen them beforehand and knew what to prep my kids for. So the teacher tips are designed with the idea of what a child will probably miss on a run through of the, of the selection. Um, when I was a kid, I was not a great musician and I, I grew up having to work my way through things and I have a real connection with how kids think what they're afraid of and where they might make a potential mistake. So we tried to design the teacher tips from the idea of a child making a mistake on a piece of music and what the teacher can do to correct it before the kid makes the mistake. We have identified for oboe the F dilemma and trigger one for trigger trombones. Uh, flicking on bassoons, all those things are included in the teacher tips. Well, as a trombone player myself, um, being the only instrument that doesn't have any buttons to press, there's a lot of technique that we don't know. And a lot of band directors feel the same way about some instruments in the band. And so the idea is that uh, if it's not your strong suit, we give you some pointers so you can give good instruction instead of erroneous instruction to kids on instruments that you're not as familiar with as a teacher. So we also have in the book for woodwinds, we have the chromatic fingerings, mm -hmm. and we also have the right and left indicators for clarinets and bass clarinets. Sure. You want to talk about why that's so important? For a brass player, woodwinds can be very confusing on how to teach the appropriate technique. And clarinets, if you're not watching carefully, will use whatever is comfortable and convenient to them or nearby. Not necessarily what is technically correct or facilitates ease of performance and they just go with what they know and what is easiest. So the, t uh, the tips in the book are designed to make sure that directors are paying attention to where the child's fingers should be for correct pedagogy. I'm really excited about our technology on HabitsUniversal.com and it allows students to submit videos and it gives them feedback in three different areas. But the really cool thing about that is the grade goes directly into the grade book. It's compatible with Schoology and Canvas and PowerSchool. Mm -hmm. What do you think the advantages are to doing uh, video technology and giving students immediate <laughs> feedback? Well, considering it's the year of coronavirus, uh, the advantages are massive. We, uh, in one day, we were thrust into the world of uh, virtual teaching and technology for a lot of us, especially old guys like me. Uh, that was quite a leap to try to get into. And one of the biggest problems that we have in the classroom when we're actually in a classroom is time. Uh, teachers in middle school in particular don't have a lot of time. 
uh, between classes when they're not engaged with students or setting up for something else. Transitions are very quick, and we don't have a lot of time to take and transfer our electronic gradebook into our physical gradebook at school that's going to go into a compatible program for grading on report cards. The idea that we're compatible and we can link with all these other programs where kids can submit grades, we can submit feedback directly to them, and the grades go directly in for us into our grading platform is huge. It's a huge time saver for us, and it's a great immediate feedback for our students. One of the biggest advantages I've seen during COVID-19 is I have shy children in class who are terrified of having to play in front of the other students. But if they can play into a video at home and get feedback one-on-one -on -one with me, we get a lot more production out of those kids because it's a safer environment for the kids to perform in. So also on habitsuniversal.com, we have um, videos of our coaches um, where students can um, play along with the coach. We also have accompaniment tracks that are really energetic and fun for students. You want to talk a little bit about uh, those two pieces and why they're so important? The guys we got doing the videos and doing the, the studio work with us, is they're just top-notch. I mean, great, great teachers. And for a kid to be able to access that anytime they want to, anywhere they want to, and have access to those kind of teachers and hear the tone production and see the technique and, and be able to imitate players of that caliber is huge. It's one thing to be in a town like I am, in a more urban town where kids could go get private lessons away from school and, and have enrichment opportunities. But I grew up in the coal mining hills of Eastern Kentucky and the nearest town of any size was 120 miles away. There were no lessons, uh, there were no master classes, there were no pull out sectionals. And the idea that we can kind of, we can simulate that opportunity for those kids who aren't immediately accessible to those resources is just a game changer for our teachers in small schools and rural schools, kids who don't have access to lessons or, or the ability to take them. Um, that, that's a game changer for a lot of kids. It would have been a game changer for me. So we also have startup clinics as part of the online piece. Um, how do you think that'll be a game changer? <laughs> well, we've had the luxury of having startup clinics. It's a huge part of our program at Cario. Um, we do this every year. It's, it's a fast start way to get a lot of kids playing all at one time. Uh, it is difficult. It, it costs us a good bit of money uh, as far as organization and being able to have enough people around to handle the responsibility. It's tough in an in-school environment to pull it off unless you have a, a great support network. Being able for a kid to watch the startup clinics and learn how to start correctly on an instrument learn how to put it together, how to maintain it, how to, uh, the proper holding position, everything is a great reference for the kids to go back to when they're first learning and are most impressionable on making a mistake. They have a resource that they can go to and watch the way it's supposed to be done by a real professional. So one of the things we have at the beginning of the book is we have an absolute outline of how to spend the first 10 days of school. Um, we talk about, uh, we have supplemental rhythm charts um, that are very sequenced mm -hmm. and we also, um, have solfege instruction. If a teacher chooses to teach solfege with their students, it's embedded in the curriculum. Um, we also have, um, we start at the beginning, you may want to talk about how you do this because we modeled it after your program. Mm -hmm. The very first thing you do is you start with rhythm with the students. You want to talk about rhythm? Every year. Uh, when we first start the year out, it takes us a while to get all the kids with the material and the instruments together, uh, order them from the music company and get them in. It gives us a two or three week dead time when, when we could lose kids' interest. And a recent study in music education said that 34% of kids who quit playing music are because they struggle with difficulty of reading rhythms. And so we're very, very detailed about how we teach rhythm. We think that a kid who can count 
will, will succeed at a much higher level because the notes and pressing the button in the right place is not the hard part. It's the math of, of, of making the rhythms that make music. So at the beginning of the Habits book and on the Habits Online uh, material that we have, we've sequenced the rhythms from, in a very logical way that's very repetitive and keeps repeating the same rhythms that we've already been over so that kids get more opportunities to grasp the concept. Sometimes in current methods, they only get three to five examples of something and then they move on to a new concept and the kids don't really get it. They, they kind of have a cursory understanding of it, but they don't have mastery of it yet. So we're trying to design the rhythm lines so that they see the same rhythms over and over and we layer them with a new concept and reinforce the old concepts at the same time. And the more we present that, the more solidified it becomes for a young musician. Um, a particular interest for kids that, that struggle are, are uh, ties dotted rhythms, rest, multiple rest. Uh, those are the problems that kids, they, they struggle to count through. And so we're trying to emphasize making sure that not only the book, but the online material reinforces those concepts. Absolutely, I think that one of the key things is that in addition to using the front part of the book, you can go to the online piece and pull in the supplemental material and you can remediate it as much as you'd like. So another really cool thing that we have at the beginning of the uh, book and the curriculum um, is having students play on their small instruments. Mm -hmm. So playing their mouthpiece in barrel, you know, on their head joint, on the you know, brass players on their mouthpieces. Talk a little bit about why that's so important. For embouchure development, it, it causes us a, uh, that'll cause us a lot of problems down the road. If kids don't have uh, firm corners, if the chin's not flat, if we're not anchored on, on, the, on the single reeds, uh, we're going to have a lot of tone problems. We're going to have a ton of intonation problems. Brass players, it's really impossible to see inside a kid's mouth and see what they're doing. So being able to sit up with just the mouthpiece and firm the embouchure and close in the corner square and be able to see what the kid's doing with just their small instruments on their face helps us to identify problems that may really be a hindrance to their advancement later. So one of the really cool things about the book is we have two pages of clarinets only work. Sure. And if a teacher wants to do that with full band accompaniment, we have that on the online resource. Um, but we also have supplemental materials for clarinets on the online resource. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about this, um, why this is so important? Oh, the, the clarinet dilemma is one of, one of the big dilemmas in beginner band and, and second year band even, because clarinet players, as they approach the break, they either find success or they, they get afraid and they find uh, the fear of failure. Uh, they will shy away from it because it comes up so quick and it becomes such a demanding technique for kids that if it's not executed well, it becomes a reason for them not to enjoy music and eventually maybe quit band. Going over the break has to be a skill that's taught uh, sequentially for a long time so that kids get much more comfortable about how to approach it and how to, uh, the hand positions, how to, uh, to execute going from almost no fingers to all fingers and getting especially the B on the, uh, the left side, uh, getting the B to come out is really difficult for kids. And so if we approach it over time with the warm-ups that we have in the book paced out as you go, then kids get a much longer time to get familiar with that concept and get successful with that concept before we th start throwing technique at them and say do both at the same time. For me, one of the big components was having band accompaniment with it. Uh, we don't have a clarinet class that pulls out by itself all the time. So sometimes those kids are in with the other kids, but I still need them working on the over the break skill. So the idea that I can download accompaniments that 
the rest of the band can play during those times means I don't have kids sitting with the horns not on their face and they're not participating. And if they use it right, we actually start the clarinets um, at exercise 29, but they don't actually have to execute playing over the break until exercise 73. Right. So all that time between exercise 29 and 73, they're developing capacity. So one of the really awesome things about the book is that when students have a first time challenge, there's a green highlighted box around that challenge. You wanna talk about why that's so important, Jeff? Of course, yeah, this was an idea that, that I, I approached a group with about how we could draw attention to things that are really common mistakes for kids. Uh, in particular, uh, one I can think of right off the top of my head is a hidden accidental, where the accidental's been introduced, say, on beat one, but it comes back on the end of three, but it's unmarked. Um, that's a very common mistake for middle school kids. They see it, if they see it, they play it. If they don't see it, they forget about it. And so the idea is when we're teaching this concept, we shade the box so that the kids are aware that there's a shading there, but we don't tell them why it's there. And the idea is that they have to remember why is that box shaded and what do I need to remember from this lesson to be able to carry over there? Why are they drawing attention to that? And what it does is it allows them to get kind of a, a visual reminder of a potential pitfall in the piece. We only do it for a couple of lines so that it reinforces the concept that we taught to so make sure that the kids fully grasp what, are, what, the, what the concept is or the, the rule of theory of why we're doing something. And then we take it away because we don't want it to become a crutch. We don't want it to become an, a given answer to them. It's just a, a reminder for the first couple of times of a new technique that we're concerned about. And many times we have a teacher tip that's associated with the green shaded box too. Which sure, yeah, and right at the bottom normally we'll explain why the shaded box is in the line. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that every, under the teacher tips at the bottom, we have a purpose for every exercise. Um, so every exercise, it tells you at the bottom of the page why we put that exercise in the book. I think that um, will be really helpful for teachers. Oh, of course. I mean, sometimes you get going through a, a method book and it feels like you're just playing songs and you're just doing exercise for the sake of, we need to put another exercise with this note in it, or we need to do something here um, just to have a line to do. Um, it doesn't necessarily teach us as teachers what, what the point is that we're teaching or what we should be focused on as a teacher to get the best result out of our kids. So by putting a purpose, it also keeps a teacher on task to make sure that they're addressing all the technique and all the concerns that are going to be addressed later in more difficult lines. So we really zero in on what to teach and how to teach it. Another thing that we did is we went through the book and we put tunes in that we called anchor tunes. They might be a little bit easier, so and many times they follow a more difficult piece. Why is it important to have an anchor tune? I need my kids to feel some success. Uh, it, this book it will challenge kids. The, some of the lines and the techniques in this and the concepts we're teaching, they're pretty advanced. They will make your band better. But there are going to be kids in your program who are going to be hanging on. You know, and like every program, like every band I've ever had, we have some that are really working ahead and we have some that are just hanging on to try to keep up. The anchor tunes help us have a line that's accessible and doable for those kids. They, they, may, they may struggle a little bit with the technique of the difficult line immediately before it, but then we give them a safe place to come back to and they have a, a place where they feel success. Let's talk a little bit about why we decided to put the keys in the book that we did, what keys we chose to put in the book, and also <laughs> the idea of, um, well, just, just talk a little bit about that, because oh. we made a conscious decision about how we addressed that. Yeah, this was, this was a big sticking point for me. I really wanted to do this. Um, 
being a middle school teacher for over 20 years, uh, now I did middle school and high school, and my, when my middle school kids would come to high school, we noticed that they could only read in about three keys. That almost all music for middle school kids is written in either B-flat or E-flat concert. You might wind up in F occasionally, but not for the whole piece most of the time. And so 95% of my kids' experience is in two keys. And it, for certain instruments, like I'm a trombone player, so I'll lean there, uh, those flats are in third position and nothing's in second and nothing is in fifth. So if I play a piece later that uses those positions, we've literally had less than 5% of practice time using those fingers or those positions. So what we wanted to do, instead of most books are using the B-flat pentascale and staying with those flat notes uh, as they introduce new notes, I really wanted to see, I don't think that kids have more trouble reading naturals and sharps unless we give them less exposure to naturals and sharps, which is what most of our literature does. We, we build a hindrance to those things by what resources are available to us. So since the C pentascale only takes us up one step higher and uses the same introductory range and notes, but it also makes it safe and comfortable to re see and read naturals and sharps. And I think that it, it might be something that can move us towards literature that's written for young students that doesn't rely so heavily on the flat keys. And I think, we, I think there's a big missing void for teaching in the natural side of the horns. Yeah, so we, we used to call it the B-flat, E-flat, A-flat club oh, for students. And we want to get them out of the B-flat, E-flat, A-flat club, and we want to get them into the C club. A trombone player simply doesn't understand what fifth position is. Uh, I joke and say that it's like Sasquatch. They've heard of it, but they've never actually seen it. Well, we actually have, talking, going back to trombone just for a minute, we actually have in the book places where we give indicators to the teacher and the student about whether it's appropriate to use sixth position or first position with the trigger. You mm -hmm. want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I use trigger trombones exclusively in my beginner band. They, it's now gotten to a point that they will rent trigger trombones. And as a trombone player, I, I want my kids to have that. I don't want them having to purchase another instrument the very next year for technique purposes. And so I think it's very important that from day one, they learn to play it both ways and they understand. It, the trigger's not used to, to get rid of sixth position, which some, some players will use it as a crutch. Uh, that's why we put in the book, we put in when it's appropriate to play sixth and when it's appropriate to play first position with the triggers so that they learn to play the correct technique and when it's appropriate and they understand why they're using that position instead of just saying, well, this is easier all the time. Um, it's much easier to teach that from day one than it is to come back after they've learned some things and, and throw another horn on them and now go back and try to say, here's why we do that. I'm excited that we have in the book, we teach bassoonists when it's appropriate to use to flick uh, on the C key. Um, you know, flicking on bassoon. So they need they need to know that on A and B flat and C, you know, what it means to to flick. And I don't know of a method book that teaches that. No, why I, is that? Why is that so important? Well, because technique is it's the correct way to play, and, and eventually it is it's going to be the only way to play. And I'll be honest with you, for years we never had resources that taught us to flick. Uh, on a bassoon. We had no idea what to do most of the time. If the private teacher wasn't giving that information, a lot of kids on those instruments simply are not getting it. Uh, we hate to say this, but a lot of bands don't have a lot of bassoons, it, so there's not a lot of time devoted to teaching that instrument sometimes in ensembles. And that means that your comprehension of the right way to play it is, is not great sometimes. So having any cues, and not just the flicking, but for the oboes with the forked F fingerings and, and the proper technique and the alternate fingerings, uh, for those instruments, even alternate fingerings on bassoon, uh, 
that's a huge deal. Intonation is a major problem with the double reeds, and they have to utilize the, the flicking, they have to utilize the proper half-hole techniques, they have to utilize alternate fingerings that are better in tune with the ensemble, uh, a lot more than people realize, and way more than most method books teach. One of the things I really like about our oboe book is that all the Fs have an indication, well, actually, most of the Fs have an indication of forked left or right. Why is that so important for oboists? Because you'll get into just like the clarinets on the bottom fingers uh, on the, uh, uh, where we get the magic pinky and we will go to whatever is easiest. Uh, a lot of times they have no idea that there's another way to play it that's technically better. You, you can't just slide back and forth through everything. And sometimes the finger combinations that you choose to use can, can create horrible technical problems with the passage, which is gonna lead to it not being played smoothly. And so being able to show them all the options for the fingering and when it's appropriate to use them is going to be a big deal when we get into ensemble rehearsals to make the ensemble sound better. So I think that anything we can do in a method book to show teachers how to teach the more difficult instruments or the less familiar instruments is probably a good thing for most teachers, whether we admit it or not. Sometimes we like to think that we, we know, but maybe we don't. And, and the, the reminders that are in there help us be better teachers for those kids. So we also, with the French horns, we have the first 10 pages of the book are split with horns mm -hmm. and fifths. I'm a horn player. I actually prefer starting them in fifths, but everybody doesn't prefer that, and that's okay. Why is it important to have those first 10 pages uh, split with uh, horns in unison or horns in fifths? Oh, for me, uh, I, do mine, I do mine in fifths as well. Uh, because the range on the on the embouchure is, is difficult for kids. It's either going to be very low or very high if we're trying to play in unison. And French horn is always, it's already a difficult instrument to get kids to be proficient on. It can be discouraging because when a trumpets are only trying to hit C and G, a French horn can get five or six notes in the same span of, of the range of the, of the feel of the embouchure. And they miss more notes than they hit. So why am I trying to make it more difficult for them? Uh, if, my, if I feel more comfortable teaching in fifths, it gives me a nice range to work in where the kids aren't doing anything weird to their embouchure to mess up how they're gonna play later. I agree, it makes them listen. And it also kind of artificially creates that open fifth um, just intonation piece mm -hmm. so that from a tuning standpoint, it actually helps. So. I, I would agree. Um, you know, French horn is one of those instruments that if you don't take the right care to approach it the right way, it can be a difficult instrument to recruit. Kids don't know what a French horn is as well as they know a trumpet or a clarinet or a flute. And then you throw an instrument at them where they can mess up more than they get it right. And in front of their peers, it can be a difficult instrument to keep kids motivated on. And I think anything that we can do that allows it to be easier for that kid to find success is well worth putting in the book and noting. Um, I believe that no matter what your philosophy is, whether you're doing unisons or, or in fifth harmony, that uh, you, should, you should be very attentive to what your French horn's experience is in band. So another thing I really like about the method book is that we introduce inharmonic notes. Um, a lot of method books don't even address it during the first year. Why is this important? Uh, well, the, the, that's one of the reasons that we put the C pentascale in, in the book is to address inharmonics and chromaticism. Um, obviously, the chromatic scale is gonna become huge, uh, especially if, in the woodwind world as the music gets more complicated. and what we talked about earlier with the fact that a lot of the music lends itself only to the flat keys. Uh, we never really get a full grasp of what a chromatic scale or enharmonics look like. And so there's very little time spent explaining what that is. So in a chromatic ladder that we, that we teach in the book, it's, it's an alphabetic uh, diagram 
of how a chromatic scale works. And we, you know, we climb up on the flat side, and we climb up on the sharp side of the chromatic scale. On the, on the way down, we come down the flat side of the scale. So kids can see across the rungs of the ladder exactly what the other name or the nickname for that note is. So they have an understanding of both directions of the horn since they're so much more familiar with the flat side of the horn. Um, the C pentascale, by putting those notes in early in the book, it allows us to play over two thirds, almost a full octave of a chromatic scale by the time we get to what is normally the sixth taught note on a concert G in a method book. By then, our students would understand the, the E natural, the F sharp, and the D flats, and things that, are, that need to be in the book. Earlier in our book, we approach those, those notes particularly so that we can get to chromaticism more, and we have an emphasis in the book on chromatic lines and chromatic passages in the book that, that use that. It's, it's one thing to understand how an inharmonic works or a chromatic scale works. It's a whole different thing to be able to execute it in performance, uh, especially the downward passages for the clarinets. Uh, for some instruments, it's not that big a deal to change one finger to the next finger. But for a clarinet, those passages, in addition to thinking the alphabet backwards, which is hard enough anyway, is normally a drop two, lift one finger pattern in a lot of places, and that's really difficult for kids. So we wanted to make sure we emphasized it, we explained it, they, they had a thorough uh, understanding of what it is, and then we practiced it, uh, which is key to understanding chromaticism. Another cool thing about that too is that we have the chromatic fingering indicator with a V Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, so it'll be really obvious to the student and really obvious to the teacher. And by putting the visual reminder in there, it's a constant checkpoint for the student and the teacher to say, let me, let me take a look at that again and see what I'm actually seeing. Uh, because sometimes we don't notice until, until a bad habit is already formed. So I think the, the markings in the book are huge so that the teacher is also aware of what the kids might be doing. So another thing we have in the back of the book is we have um, B-flat, E-flat, A-flat, we have F, C, and G. Why is that important? In, in other words, we have the scale, the arpeggio, the thirds, and the chromatic scale right. for each of those keys in the back of the book. Why is that important? Well, because I don't believe that you can play a song in the key of C, F, or G unless you can play thoroughly in the key. I think you need to know the pentascales. I think you need to know the major scale, be able to play the arpeggios. We like to do thirds. Thirds are great technique things to find out if, if, you know, how well they can take the notes out of order. Long story short, if you're, if you're, if you're relying on the literature that's available to, and accessible to most bands to teach them to be proficient players, there's going to be a lot of blind spots because the music is designed to be accessible to more people and more people don't necessarily have the skills of playing on the other side of the horn so it tends to lean towards what they know and what they don't know or even what not towards what they need to know and so by introducing these keys and working in these keys more often and having more exercises in the keys and developing the skills in the keys then that gives me the ability to look for new resources that expand our understanding so another thing we have in the book are finger twisters. Mm -hmm. uh, we do that for technique purposes. Why is it important that we have finger twisters in the book? Well, like I said a minute ago, uh, with the scales, uh, a lot of kids learn, a lot of the songs use familiar patterns, and the scales are in a predictable order. Uh, the notes come in, in a way that the kids would expect them to come. By using finger twisters, it makes them really think about the notes that are in that key and the scale and how to approach every note from a different place on the instrument. Uh, if you're a clarinet and you're playing up C, D, E, F, well, that's easy. You're just lifting a finger at a time. But if you have to go from A to C and from B natural to D 
and from C to E or to F sharp. Now you have to do some real thinking about which fingers are doing what and, and how you're approaching them. It can also open up the world of how we use alternate fingerings because depending on what one note is before or after that note, it may adjust which fingering we have to use uh, in a way that a predictable scale pattern would not. So we have several exercises. One is titled finger roll, mm -hmm. but we have several exercises that actually zero in on that whole concept of finger roll. Sure. The woodwind hand position is huge. You know, as a brass player, it was a weak area for me when I started. I didn't, I didn't have that much experience with woodwinds. And, and kids can do some crazy things. I mean, just some crazy things. I've seen kids use their, their right pinky to play all four notes at the bottom with some double jointed kind of motion that they do and, and somehow made it work. But it's completely technically wrong. And, and so I think that, that focusing on the techniques like rolling the fingers and keeping fingers low and, and moving smoothly between notes instead of lifting. And because whenever you lift off of a clarinet and, and you lift up from one note to another from there, you, you run the risk of, of hearing an open note in between where you're actually playing three notes and not two. And so we're trying to work on keeping that down. It's the same technique that we're going to use with the oboes and bassoons when we have to work on our half holing techniques uh, when, we, when we need to open a partial hole. Uh, very similar concepts. So in the book we have three different warm-ups. We have a basic daily warm-up, an intermediate daily warm-up, and an advanced daily warm-up. Mm -hmm. They don't get to the, the uh, basic daily warm-up until around exercise 104. Mm -hmm. um, why did we choose to do three separate warm-ups within the book? Well because you know, the, of the skill range of, of ensembles. And they may need a simpler option, but that doesn't mean we're not going to teach the concept. It doesn't mean we're not going to work on the technique or the fundamental skill. We still have to have that as part of our daily rehearsal. And fundamentals are huge in, in developing the right concepts for young kids. So just because a kid can't play the, the more difficult version of it doesn't mean we can't be working on it. Another thing we're really excited about is that in the back of the book, there's a warm-up drill that's kind of like a Clark study or a, a Fussell book study that's just straight quarter notes, and it's really there designed for students to very slowly build technique, but more importantly, build strength on the embouchure. Yeah. And, and that's a huge thing for middle school kids is, is building up the ability to play long phrases and, and to play with a good characteristic sound through the entire phrase. And so breaking down the, the technique for endurance purposes is a huge thing for when we apply it to a, a legato line in, in a musical passage or a piece that we're playing. It, it develops the skills that we're gonna to have to exhibit in performance. So we have another book out, Habits of Successful Middle mm -hmm. School Musician. We call it the Yellow Book. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about the way we wrote this series is we kind of wrote it in reverse order. Right. So we always knew in this beginner band method book where we were going. So a number of the exercises in the new beginner band method book prep mm -hmm. exercises in the yellow book. You want to talk about that? Sure. The, the fundamental skills, and we talk about the components of playing that Scott has in the high school book uh, with all the things that are necessary for a musician to be able to execute to be a proficient player. And when we started writing the second book, uh, he asked me, you know, which of these apply to middle school? And the truth is we didn't take anything out because they're all applicable to middle school students. They're also applicable to beginner students because if we don't start teaching beginning concepts on the fundamentals, they're not going to have them in middle school, which means they're not going to be developed for high school. Well, Jeff, we've certainly had a fantastic time working on this book and hope that band directors will appreciate how much thought we've put into many of the details that we've discussed today. If you teach beginners, we hope you will consider using this innovative and revolutionary method with your students this school year.
Thank you for joining us for this Habits Universal podcast. If you'd like more information on habits of a successful beginner band musician, go to giamusic.com. There, you'll find promotional videos and student books for your perusal. Please join us for future Habits Universal podcasts.